0: You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I'm your host Daniel Lee or Photos by DLAA. Today we're going to be discussing why the lenses make the system not bodies, in my opinion. Go over a little bit of news and what I've been up to. So personal updates. If you do listen every fortnight, you'll remember that I said this year I'm not going to, I'm going to control my gas. There was only two things I was going to buy, which was those Sigma lenses. well. Yeah, I've broken that already. Technically, I did buy a Sigma lens. It's just not one of the ones I wanted to buy or originally wanted to buy. I've been looking at the Sigma 16mm f1.4, the APS-C lens for a long time. Always been curious about it, you know, look like a decent lens, but I didn't know how much I want to invest in the M system. But, you know, I've got so many of those lenses now and, you know, I do hope to travel again someday soon. And when I do, I'm tempted to just take the M50 Mark II, the 56, the 32. And, you know, now that i got the 16, i got something wide, like the 24 millimeters or technically 25 because Canon's 1.6, but decided to get that. Because, you know, that time when I went to Hunter Valley and Newcastle here in New South Wales. The M50, I didn't feel limited by it at all. You know, when I'm traveling, I don't really shoot the same way I travel if I'm by myself. So it's not like I need the best of the best. You know, if I think about it, if I took it to America, would I have felt limited? In some ways, yes, maybe because, you know, I use 16 millimeters heaps in San Francisco. That was probably the main focal length I used. So if I had had my, you know, well, I don't even have a 16mm Used to have the 11 to 22, which I think is around 17 millimeters. You know, my maths is, I can't even count, calculate that, but it was around there. So I might've been okay, but not with my current setup. You know, I probably wouldn't have even needed the 24, but at the same time, f1.4 versus I think it's like f.6.3 on the long end at 22, or it's not a very fast lens. Whereas, you know, this 24, let's I can easily use it at night handheld, can use so much more. In terms of what I think of it so far, I'm, you know, really impressed with it. Sharpness wise, it's amazing lens. Field of view, you know, it gives a good, very wide field of view. Not the widest, but it is good, you know. It doesn't suit everything. That's why I remember when I owned 24 GM, I thought it was good, but it wasn't a replacement for 35. To me, 35 is still always going to be number one because I feel like when you try and take, say, food photos, you're going to get too close with this 24. You need to be like really close. So close you might get a bit of perspective distortion, that kind of stuff, but, or barrel lens distortion, you know, you will see some distortion in a sense. Things won't look as they do to your eye, like they would with a 35 or a 50. That's why I just sort of do like it. But to me, it will be more about those times where I need something wide. I'm mainly doing wider shots. I don't need really up close, half body, headshot, almost kind of stuff, you know? or really get close in on details. In that case, 35 is definitely better. But when I'm traveling, I kind of like, you know, more scenery stuff, so as wide as possible. I've also been very curious about Fuji, mainly the X-S10. So that's kind of related to the main topic. So, you know, about why lenses make the system. So more on that later. I haven't been shooting as much due to the heavy rain. And I find, you know, I know some people will say for exercise, they like to go to an actual gym because they feel that if they work out at home, they find it hard to get motivated, they need to be somewhere else. I'm starting to feel like that with my photography. When I'm at home, I'll more likely want to watch shows or play games or just relax, you know. That's why I've been struggling to shoot still life because, you know, I just don't have the inspiration. I'm sitting at home, try to take a photo, but I'll be like, ps 5 is waiting for me, Netflix is waiting for me, that sort of stuff, you know. So it's been hard, but yeah, hopefully soon. I don't mind the rain in a way because I love this weather. Obviously, it's very bad. Some people here in New South Wales, flooding, lost their whole home, that sort of stuff. So it's very bad. I wish the rain could be as, the same as it is where I am. It's heavy, but not flooding and damaging places heavy. It's pretty crazy as well. You know, it's in the same state, but where I am, it's pretty light drizzle kind of thing. Whereas in other people, yeah, it's so heavy there. You can see photos if you look online where a bridge is pretty much just a bridge. You can't see the other sides of the road. All these cars and these animals were stuck on the bridge because the water had risen that high. But you couldn't see either end on end of each bridge, so they couldn't just drive off it, if you get what I mean. And as I mentioned, still counting down the days to the end of daylight savings. Really excited. Summer is over, so hopefully this stupid hot and humid weather will go away. We can get some nice cold weather. I, you know, Sydney doesn't get that cold, but I wish we had a maximum temperature of like 10 degrees or maximum five degrees. The colder, the better. Let's just say that. Well, that's it for, say, personal updates. So we'll get on to the news. So Casina unveils one Fuji X-mount lens and three Nikon Z-mount prime lenses. So Casina has announced four new Voigtlander lenses, one for Fuji frame X-mount and three for Nikon Z-mount. Nikon will get the 50mm f2, 35 f2 and the 23 f1.2 with the latter also being made for Fuji X-mount. These new lenses which also support full electronic communication because not all manual lenses do that and sometimes it can be a bit of a body combination but all of these lenses do. The 15mm f2 has an apochromatic design that the company says thoroughly eliminates various types of aberrations and thoroughly provides high level performance in terms of resolution and contrast. The lens itself is constructed of 10 elements in 8 groups and features a 12 bladed aperture diaphragm that supports a range of f2 to f16. It is manual focus only but supports focus peaking. In terms of the 35mm f2, this one is constructed of 11 elements in 9 groups and features an aperture range of f2 through to f16 via its 12 bladed aperture diaphragm. It's also manual focus but supports focus peaking, just like the previous one. And the 23mm f1.2 is designed for Nikon DX format cameras. So assuming it's mirrorless mount only, Z mount, you know, be just for your Z50 and ZF, I think it is, their other one. Just practically the same camera, just different design. The lens is constructed of 10 elements in 6 groups and features an aperture range of f1.2 through S16 via 12-bladed diaphragm. Also manual focus but supports supports focus peaking. 23mm is also available for Fujifilm X-mount and supports electronic communication through Fujifilm camera bodies. Casina has also announced the Voitlander VME Close Focus Adapter 2 that is compatible with E-mount cameras to decrease the minimum focusing distance to a subject. They didn't provide any images in this. They, you know, more than likely be cheap lenses. Casina, you know, Voigtlander ones usually aren't your very, very pricey ones. So I guess if these are kind of lenses you're interested in, you're a Nikon Z-mount shooter or a Fuji X-mount and you're interested in them, keep your eye out for pricing or availability since that was not mentioned either. But yeah, that's one new more news thing, one more new lens for Z-mount. The next up is the Canon RF 800mm f5.6 and 1200mm f8L Super Tele lenses have been announced. Canon has announced two new Super Telephoto lenses for the RF mount, the RF 800mm f5.6 lisusm USM and the 1200mm f8 LIS USM. Unlike what was the case with the 400mm f2.8 and 600 primes launched last year, these two new lenses are unique, apparently, allegedly. While the lenses do have a link to the EF Originals, there are differences. Their optics are essentially identical, except for the addition of a specialized set of optics at the back of the lenses acting as a high quality 2x extender. The two lenses are touted as quite light for their focal lengths and share many of the same features between one another, including Canon's Super Spectra Coating, SSC, and Air Sphere Coating, ASC, which it says helps minimize ghosting and flare, as well as customizable electronic focus ring with manual focusing capability during servo autofocus. The two optics are compatible with Canon's 1.4 and RF 2x extenders. Both lenses also have two focus presets for the ability to instantly switch between memorized focusing distances and both share a circular nine bladed aperture. Finally, the RF 800mm F5.6 IS USM and the 1200mm have the same durability with dust and weather resistance, as well as a fluorine coating on the front element that resists dirt, oil, water, and makes it lenses easier to clean. Pretty sure that fluorine is in toothpaste too, so maybe if it rubs off a bit, you could just save it, brush your teeth with it after. The RF 800mm weighs 6.9 pounds or 3.1 kilograms, has a minimum focusing distance of 8.53 feet or 2.9 meters with a maximum magnification of 0.34 times, optical image stabilization that provides up to 4.5 stops of shake correction includes free IS modes compatible with RF 1.4 and RF 2 times extenders which can turn it into a 1120 mm and 1600 mm optic respectively. Autofocus focus is possible with either extender as well. The lens is constructed of 26 elements in 18 groups, including two fluorine elements, one ultra low dispersion lens and one super UD lens. The focusing drive system is Canon's USM low speed drive ring USM, a 1200 millimeter weighing in at 7.4 pounds. And I think that was around 3.3 kilos. Has a minimum focusing distance of 14.1 feet or 4.3 meters with a maximum magnification magnification of times 0.29. Optical IS supports up to 4 stops of shake correction and like the 800mm has 3 IS modes. Combined with the RF 1.4x and RF 2x extenders the lens can reach lengths of 1680mm and 2400mm respectively and autofocus remains possible with either extender. The lens is constructed of 26 elements in 18 groups including 2 fluorine, one ultra low dispersion element, one super UD element. And the focusing drive system is Canon's USM low speed drive, which is a ring USM. The RF 800mm is going to be selling available in late May for $16.99. And the 1200mm, same time period, $19,999 US dollars. So obviously these are very, very expensive lenses. Not the type of thing, just your average person will you know, buy to take photos of their cat. Although I'm sure they would take very nice photos of a cat. Imagine it leaping around in the grass. You can shoot it from a mile away. They wouldn't even know you're there. But yeah, they didn't. Inc- I don't believe they include any photos with it, from what I remember now. But it's a very pricey lens. I'm sure there's people out there that would want it for birds or something. But it's not the type of lens I'm sure they would be selling tons or that stores would even keep stocked. And it would probably be just like a special order kind of thing. Last but not least for the news is Panasonic announces the... 25.2 megapixel GH6 so Panasonic has announced the Lumix GH6 the first micro four-thirds camera to feature a resolution over 20 megapixels Panasonic says its 25.2 megapixel sensor is primarily for photography but of course is loaded with video features as well the camera makes improvements in many areas but still has contrast based autofocus unfortunately so if you don't know the difference between contrast based autofocus and phase detection autofocus I can't remember the technical explanation but the way to think of it is depending on how long you've been doing photography, if you say shoot Canon or something, if you remember how autofocus was on something like a 6D, 5D Mark III, that kind of stuff where when you're in live view and you try to autofocus, focus, it would always jump back and forth heaps constantly just to try and figure out where and then it would finally nail sort of where the focus is. Whereas now with newer mirrorless cameras, you know, your R6, even your EOS R, your RP, those ones you know technically the autofocus is on the sensor so it's a lot faster it's pretty much you just press it and it's already in focus that's why you know these panasonic cameras are still using that older method of autofocus and not switching to the newer one which they explain later on which i'll keep going so as mentioned you know has a 25.2 megapixel live cmos sensor the combination of the new sensor and processor means the gh6 has a new wider iso extended sensitivity range of ISO 50 through to 25,600 for photos and ISO 50 through to 12,800 in video. It's got new and improved five axis gyro sensor with a new algorithm that allows it to achieve 7.5 stops of on sensor stabilization and dual image stabilization that allows for the new 100 megapixel high resolution shot mode to be used without a tripod. So 3.0 inch wide angle touch control monitor in 3.2 aspect with 1840K, so 184,000 dot high resolution. The camera uses a 3680K dot OLED live viewfinder with a magnification rate of approximately 1.52 times or 0.6 times, so in the 35mm equivalent. Panasonic says it understands phase-based systems are more popular in terms of autofocus, but explains that the development on the GH6 was started just prior to the launch of GH5. It has been working primarily on increasing dynamic range capabilities at that time and not on phase detection, which to me sounds like, you know, something in the future. Panasonic says this doesn't mean it won't go phase-based or even time of flight in the future, but right now with this camera and its development cycle, that was what it could do. So pretty much that says phase detection is coming. They can't really you know work on it that quick it's probably something they have to learn like if you look at Nikon how much they had to learn phase detection in terms of their mirrorless cameras so it will take time it's not something they can just you know do in a few weeks and add in a software update kind of thing so high speed burst shooting at 14 frames per second in autofocus single and eight in autofocus continuous with a mechanical shutter and 75 frames per second with an electronic shutter, which is good. The GH6 is compatible with CX, CF Express Type B cards, and that is one of two memory card slots. The other is a UHS 2 SD port. The GH6 uses a full size HDMI port, a new 2200 milliamp battery that can be charged with AC power or USB C in the camera, Wi Fi 5, Bluetooth 5, and tethered shooting via a PC connection. The Panasonic Lumix GH6 will be available mid March for 2200 or for 2800 bundled with the Leica 12 to 60mm f2.8 to f4 lens. So, you know, micro four thirds as I mentioned when with the Olympus one the other day, it's a very sort of interesting topic. If you look at the price of it, 2200, that's almost the price of a, you know, the US dollars obviously, a 60 R6 few hundred off an R6, very close to the A7. You can get a Fuji for that price, like a really X-T4, that sort of stuff. Hell, you could get the Fuji X-S10, which is really good camera from everything I've read anyway. I haven't used it myself, but has IBIS, has all of that stuff. And you could get a lens, get a kit, all for the price of just this micro four-thirds body. So I know there's a whole bunch of video features that I didn't obviously cover because, you know, I don't talk about video, but I've You know, Panasonic, the GH series has always been more from what I've seen is video orientated, not stills. They said it's stills, but to me, the fact that it's not phase detection really pushes it more towards the video market. Regardless, like if you are already in that ecosystem, I'm sure you'd probably be happy. This is a good upgrade for you. But for me, you know, personally, I don't think it would be worth it at that price. I honestly don't even, you know, no offense to Fuji users. I don't even think for the price that something like the X-T4 is worth it. I would match rather an XS10, which does majority of what the X, you know, X-T4 does for what, like half the price, but that's just me. Either way, you know, if this is something you're getting, maybe you can look forward to, you can pick it up. If you like more used cameras, wait till one goes used and then, yeah, I'm sure you can get it probably for quite a bit cheaper, maybe not much cheaper, but cheaper than what the original retailing price is. That's it for the news. So we're onto the main topic. So as you can tell by my recent purchase, my gas has been acting up again, you know, gear acquisition syndrome if you're not familiar with that. Now, I also covered not recent not long ago not recently. Not long ago, the future of the EFM mount is uncertain and, you know, as I mentioned last fortnight that Sigma have now entered the Fuji mount. So, you can get their excellent 16mm, 30mm and 56mm all natively in Fuji mount and from what I read they also do mount conversion. So, If you had a Sony or a Canon EFM and you wanted to swap it over the Fuji, you want to get a Fuji body. From what I know, you can just pay a fee. I think it's like a hundred bucks or something, 200 maybe. I'm not sure how much it is in each country because it is different and you could convert it over. All of this, you know, had me looking into Fuji bodies. As I keep mentioning the XS10, it looks like an excellent body, size, build, fully articulating screen, EVF and rear screen look to be good quality. It has IBIS, which is like a Huge, huge step up. But the one thing that I was sort of uh, about is the lenses. So now, if you look at the EFM mount, for example, it's not the most you know filled out lens lineup, but it does have some pretty unique lenses for what it is. So if you look at, for example, Fuji around the thirty, you know, thirty millimeter, thirty five round there. Their newest one would be there, I believe. Don't get me. You no, know, don't kill me if I get this wrong because I'm not you know a Fuji shooter. I don't know as much about them, but I believe their 33mm f1.4 is their newest, you know, lens around that 50 mm equivalent or around that area anyway. That does look like a very nice lens, but from what I could tell, it is a bit bigger and more expensive compared to the Canon EFM 32mm f1.4, which is, you know, a lot cheaper as well. So it's practically like an L lens, honestly, that lens is so good, but it's only about 600 700 when I bought it not long after launch as well. Now you know the more I research the re- point I'm getting to is the more I research the more I sort of was reminded it's not so much about the body it's really about the lenses. Bodies do obviously play a good part your ISO performance your dynamic range they can even somewhat affect the colors as well but there's a lot of factors that bodies do play but to me a lens is more important. You'll find bodies they change so often you know you especially in terms of, say, if you look at Sony, you just, when you get your body, it's already outdated. I think it was like the A6300 came out and then less than a year later or six months later, the A6500 came out. So, you know, bodies can upgrade very, very fast. And depending on what the difference is, you know, sometimes they do upgrade quite fast, depending on, you know, what area it is. Whereas with lenses, you'll find they are not upgraded or changed as frequently. And when they are, it's usually... Not as much of a drastic difference. Like if you look at, say, the A7 Mark II versus the A7 Mark III, that was a big difference. It's bucking down with rain right now. Unrelated, but hopefully it doesn't. We can't hear it in here. But either way, that was a massive difference between those two bodies. Whereas if you look at some lenses, say like the Canon RF 100 millimeter, sorry, EF 100 millimeter, the RF 200 millimeter, it wasn't as much as a big difference. And obviously, there's an exception to every rule, or it's not the same for everything. If you look at the EF. that one is you know way way behind it looks like someone smothered grease on it compared to the RF wide open the RF 85 and 50 just you know completely next level lenses autofocus image quality everything but when I my advice always is to anyone that's looking into buying a camera when everyone asks me as well I don't say look at which body you want I always say look at what lenses you want and then just pick your body on that. You'll hear often on YouTube videos, people say, you know, you can't really go wrong with whatever body you choose. And honestly, it's the honest truth. Say you wanted an APS-C Canon right now. You know, I love my M50. The M6 Mark II is even better if you don't mind, you know, having to use a separate EVF kind of thing. If you wanted a Sony APS-C, A6400, 6100 A6600, like those are excellent bodies. I would happily use them, you know, mostly. I just wish they had fully articulating screens. Fuji, you know, as you know, XS10 is amazing. If you want purely you love APS-E and willing to invest, the X-T4 would be an excellent option as well. Full frame, obviously, you know, Fuji, sorry, got to sit that one out, but Nikon, you want a high resolution body. You know, you can go for the Z7 Mark II, the A7R Mark IV. You can go for the R5. You want something lower resolution, faster. Technically, Nikon don't really have that. The Z6 Mark II is not slow. But technically, actually the R6 really dominates there. I have to admit it. 20 FPS when, for that round that resolution, the next would be the A7 Mark III, which is a bit slower at like 7 or 8, maybe even 6 FPS. And Nikon Z6 is not too good either. But otherwise, you know, when you look at all of this together, and you can honestly get amazing shots with whatever system is available, which the YouTubers and all that, YouTubers, YouTubers are correct in that sense. But to me, it's always the bodies that sort of all kind of very similar, very the same. It's always about the lenses and what lenses are available is what you really have to look at. So I thought I'd just, you know, discuss some similar stuff. So when you look at it, so you can have the similar focal lengths across different brands, but they'll still have different looks and different specs. So what I mean by that is, so for example, if you look at just right now, Sony, Canon, Nikon, all three. So... Canon have of two fifty mm you got your f1.8, f1.2 Nikon, you have your f1.8, your f1.2 and also the Noctilux, I think it is, f0.95. Sony, you got like a ton. You got your old Zeiss 51.4, you got the GM 51.2, the 55.18, 51.8, you got, you know, even more as well on top of that. Now, you might say, oh, but, you know, they're all the same. So, If you had all three lenses, so say you had the Sony 51.8, the Nikon 51.8 and the Canon RF 51.8, you took the exact same photo. Often you'll find they may look very similar in terms of the available depth of field, subject isolation, that sort of stuff, but they would never be the exact same because when it comes down to it, each lens has slightly different rendering. They'll always look slightly different. You know, the colors may be slightly different straight out of camera, The rendering, its transition from in-focus to out-of-focus can be very different as well. You have some, you know, 85 millimeter or any lenses in general that can look more clinical, as they call it, and just look very standard, whereas another lens may have a really nice soft transition, which shows, you know, from where it goes in-focus to out-focus is very smooth and doesn't look very sharp and cut off, you know, like it's just one line where you can clearly see it. But there's a lot of different factors into that, you know, the specs, the weight. So if you really care about weight, for example, say I really love 50 millimeters and I really want an f1.2 lens, but I look at all three, I think it's Sony have the smallest, lightest lens, 51.2. The Canon isn't that much heavier, but it is a bit heavier. And the Nikon is quite a bit heavier than both, I believe, from what I remember off the top of my head. So you know, like they're not all created equal. Whereas say you really love shooting with a 135mm and you don't want to use adapters. In that case, your pretty much only option would be Sony because they're the only one with the 135 GM. Canon haven't released an RF version yet and Nikon don't have anything. Same goes for 35mm. If you only want a 35 f1.4, then Sony... I'm pretty much putting over Sony here. If you know what, if you know what putting over is, as a wrestling term. It means, you know, promoting them, kind of making them look good. So I'm pretty much doing that for... Sony right now, because you know they got the thirty five g m nikon and sony got the thirty five one eight so they're fine, but otherwise you know it can work a lot of different ways depending on what you want and what you get you know, and even if you look at all the lenses, they're not all created equal from what i remember remember anyway canon's thirty five one point two was always considered to be no sorry one thirty five f two was always considered to be you know the best, and Nikon's was a quite lackluster for better lack of words so that's why I sort of, you know, if you wanted a really good 35, 135, you like that focal length, you go for Canon. And, you know, previously in the past, was always considered Canon had the best lenses, Nikon had the best sensors. But I honestly feel Sony have really given them competition in terms of lenses. I wouldn't, just my personal opinion, I don't think Nikon has the best all around lenses, but they do have certain lenses that are very appealing, you know, like their 14 to 30 millimeter f4. I could honestly just get that. A maybe 518 or eighty five one eight and the thirty five one eight and I'd be set. That would be my kit there. I'd be happy with that as well. And it would probably honestly be cheaper than what I got with my my R six right now. So there's always certain things you can make yourself happy. It's all about the lenses. So yeah, there's another example. If you want a cheap ultra wide angle that's actually decent, you know, I think the Nikon will probably be your best option. That fourteen to thirty covers a lot of range, and I think it's around. Last time I checked, it was around fourteen hundred bucks for that f four. If you want the Canon 14 to 35 here in Australia, it's around 2500 AUD. So, you know, about a thousand AUD more. And then for Sony, you don't really have anything around that wide, that cheap anyway. You're only looking at more GM or G lenses, like the 12 to 24 G, which I think is around two and a half grand or more. And if you go third party, not really though, in terms of autofocus anyway. So as you can see, what I'm more trying to get around is, you know, there's always different options. No matter what you look at for lens wise, There will always be options. And there's also when you have to take into consideration third party. So if you purely want mirrorless, no adapters, that kind of stuff, right now, Sony is pretty much killing it. If you don't mind manual focus lenses, obviously Nikon and Canon, you know, they got a lot of third party options. Well, not a lot, but they got some. Whereas if you want purely autofocus, honestly, the best third party lenses are on the e mount. I could hate Sony, but I could still admit that. I don't hate Sony, but you know, the ones from like Sigma. Their DN Art lenses are absolutely amazing, especially the 85. That I'm never gonna stop going on about how good that 85 is. Then if you're looking at you know more telephoto like Tamrons, their 28 to 75 is absolutely amazing. The 70 to 70 to 100 180, that one is also amazing. There's so many good options if you're looking purely at third party, and you can build a really good kit on Sony just using third party. Not to mention all the other stuff like Laowa and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe, you know, if you just like Sigma, you can even look at Panasonic and Leica and all that, thanks to the Elman Alliance and that kind of thing. Obviously, that could change in the future. But, you know, if you're looking to buy a camera now, that's something that you do need to look into. And then, you know, as I mentioned, bodies, they're updated so much more often. So you'll find your investment may not last as long with Sony, you know, because something else will come out and kill the value on it unless you're willing to upgrade all the time. Although I will say that Sony have slowed down a lot with their body releases. Whether COVID has played the biggest factor in that, which I think, you know, it's stopped a lot of releases from all brands. I wouldn't be surprised if we had seen more Canon gear and the EFM lenses coming out. And one thing to keep in mind is future prospects of which one you want. You know, sometimes if you're getting APS-C, you don't mind selling all your gear when you move up to full frame, but some people like to carry it over. So that's one thing to consider if it shares the same mount, which, you know, technically in Nikon and Canon, it doesn't right now. Nikon do have their Z50 and I think they have some APS-C Z mount lenses, but Canon don't right now, the EF-M lenses aren't compatible with RF mount. Sony, you can use, you know, both interchangeable very easily, no issue. So pretty much to sum it all up, to me, lenses are definitely what make the system. If you're looking to buy something like me, I always look at the lenses. Like I said, I looked at Fuji X-S10 and it's still very, very tempting me, especially since I could just have my lenses converted over. but my main issue was I really like my 32mm EFM 32mm F1.4. Although Fuji have pretty much the same thing, you know, the 33mm, it's more expensive. It has an aperture ring, which I really hate. I know some people love aperture rings, but I personally think, you know, control rings from Canon are the best, mainly because if you don't like the control ring, you can just simply disable it. It doesn't do anything. If you, you know, like it, the aperture, you can have the aperture, ISO, whatever you want. But also Fuji, they don't have anything really equivalent to my 22 mm my 35 mm lens, which is a pancake lens. That thing is tiny; it's like half the length of my thumb. So you know, they don't. It's all about the lenses. You really need to look at the lenses. Sure, I could swap over to Canon, uh, to Fuji, just use the 60, Sigma 16, Sigma 30, and Sigma 56, and call it a day. And honestly, for what I use APS-C, that would be great. But it's that 22 and that 32 that really attract me to Canon. So what? That's as I said. All about the lenses with when I intended to switch back to Canon it was once again you know the body was better as well but the lenses I really like the RF 35 millimeter rendering wise I was never happy with the Sony's rendering the 85 millimeter f2 it technically does two in one I know I complained about it and said I want the art but you know it is a really good lens so it does you know two lenses for one with its close focusing maybe not as better as separate as I mentioned but it's still great so all I can say is if you do want to switch brands or you want to get a new camera or anything, look at the lenses first. The side based on the lenses, not on the body because you'll get great quality out of any body in all honesty, but lenses, not so much. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, please make sure to subscribe. If you want to leave a review on iTunes or anything, that would be greatly appreciated as well. I think you can leave a review on Spotify too, but not too sure. If you'd like to follow me personally, my photography Twitter is photos by D. Lee. You can also visit me at photosbydlwe.com. That's where I upload my photos the most before I put Flickr, before I put anywhere, usually anyway. You can follow all my socials from there as well. If you want to hear more episodes, you can see in the show notes. Otherwise, at thephotographyenthusiast.com. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening and take care. See ya.